Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Thank you for being with us. I am Judith Eaton with the Council for Higher Education Accreditation and my friend and colleague, Stemenka Uvelis-Trumbish, Senior Advisor for International Affairs at CHIA, and I are very pleased to bring you this webinar. Our focus is on quality, quality in higher education in a time of crisis. And as all of us are attempting to meet this challenge, I hope that everyone is safe and well. There are two questions uh, on which we will be focusing today. The first is about the key elements for successful online teaching and learning. As all of us are experiencing a significant increase in the number of students engaging higher education online. Uh, and our second question is about the role of quality assurance and what we are doing in accreditation and quality assurance to address this. None of us knows how long this pandemic will last. We don't know what the fall will bring. And in the face of, of the challenge and the uncertainty, uh, we are attempting to do the very best we can to serve students. To work with us with these questions, today we have a superb panel of international experts, Carolyn Campbell, senior consultant uh, at the Observatory on Borderless Higher Education, Rodrigo Guerra Botello, the Secretary General of the Federation of Mexican Private Higher Education Institutions, Peter Okubicola, the president of, of GUNI, the Global University Network for Innovation, Chida Piano, the international consultant for education with the EU support for higher education in the ASEAN region, and Jianzhen Zhang, the chief expert of Yunnan Higher Education Evaluation Center, and also Jianzhen is the president of the Asia Pacific Quality Network. Uh, we do have an opportunity for comments and questions, and, and we ask you, please, a number of you are already doing it, uh, use the chat function, because we want to hear from you as well as our panelists. Each of our panelists will address each of the, the two questions. I will be asking the panelists some questions and then turning to your questions for uh, your comments, and then we'll move forward. And with that, and our first question about key elements for successful online teaching and learning, uh, John Zinn, if I may, let me let me start with you. We need you to unmute. Okay. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me, Judith? Yes. Okay. Good. Hello everyone, nice to meet you and share with you in Chia CIQG webinar. Almost overnight, coronavirus makes MOOCs, online classes, micro classes, and other kinds of online teaching came to us unexpectedly. It seems that future teaching in science fiction films come to us all of a sudden. However, 
the teachers and the students who rush to battle are not really well prepared. A PQN survey of the influence of silver D19 in quality of higher education at universities shows that 20% of the teachers' students consider online teaching is inefficient, and 53 consider just so-so. To answer the question of what is a key element of successful online teaching, I think compared with a traditional face-to-face -face teaching, first of all, we need to know what online teaching has changed. Unlike share three points. Number one, online teaching organization pattern has changed, which means the change of teaching model. First, Students' home-based learning is different from teachers' face-to-face -face teaching in the classrooms. And it is difficult for both teachers and students to keep the same step and keep the same pace with each other. Second, online teaching is one-way teaching and it is difficult to discuss between teachers and students, and it is also difficult to communicate among students themselves. Third, during online teaching, teachers and students are separated in different locations and are untouchable from one another. There's no eye contact, no group discussion, no other group learning atmosphere. Teaching elements become electronization. At this changed background of new teaching organization model, we must pay attention to double key elements. How do teachers teach? How do students learn? Two, online teaching relationship has changed which means a new relationship between teachers and students should be established. Compared with the traditional teaching students, home-based online learning has changed from the teacher-controlled learning to student individual learning. And the teacher's leading role has been greatly weakened. As this changed the background of new teaching relationship, we must pay attention to three key elements. How to establish a new relationship between teachers and students. How to establish a new relationship among students themselves. And what are effective student support and academic support services can we provide? And last point is, Online teaching technology has changed, which means higher requirements for the use of IT. In the home-based learning environment, network technology has become crucial technology to support students' home-based learning. Teachers' instructions, guidance, and inventions to students' learning must rely on IT platforms networks and various teaching tools, which puts forward the high requirements for teachers' teaching ability of modern IT. For many teachers, 
especially the senior ones, they face huge difficulties and challenges. At this changed background of new teaching technology, we must pay attention to three key elements. How to train qualified faculty and staff skilled at IT. How to increase financial investment to meet basic IT equipment. What types of interactive delivery of online teaching and learning are useful? Facing up to the subversive and the disruptive changes of online teaching, first of all, we must pay close attention to the great challenges of online teaching, such as the eight key elements mentioned above. By this way, we can be provided with new space and direction to discuss and explore quality assurance of higher education at the university at post-crisis era. Thank you for your attention. Jensen, thank you. And folks, if you have questions or, or comments, if you'll put them into the chat room, we would very much appreciate it. Rodrigo, if I may turn to you, uh, what is happening uh, from your perspective with your institutions in Mexico? Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, friendly hello from Mexico City. It is uh, dawning uh, this, uh, this morning here in Mexico. Uh, as compared to Asia and, and, and Europe, Mexico uh, had their own problems and of the crisis uh, of COVID-19 very late. Uh, we have uh, our problems starting uh, by March. So the lockdown was ordered by the, by the government uh, in the third week. So um, at that time, universities has barely a week to prepare for the lockdown and uh, decide how to go about the online education. So what we found the hard way is that uh, uh, online education is a different, a very different subject as compared to the traditional classroom activities. So I uh, put the uh, at the end, we understood that uh, what is very important is that uh, um, a, a planning, a planning is a very important uh, element that should be considered when you start making the online education uh, offer uh, in a much more higher volumes for the students. Uh, to, uh, before the crisis, the amount of uh, uh, students enrolled in higher education in Mexico, is, it was about 16%. After the crisis, that 16% moved almost to 100%. So all the internal uh, processes in the in universities were almost collapsed. So um, uh, of course, it was not uh, enough time to make planning, but planning is going to be a key element if we are going to remain in, in higher levels of online education. Then. Uh, Everybody, I think wrongly, thought that uh, online education was uh, cheaper, uh, which is not. And uh, the funny part is that uh, the students and the, and the families believed that uh, the higher education online was to be more inexpensive. So everybody started asking for reimbursements of, uh, of fees. So, um, but uh, 
at the end, uh, you find out that uh, you have to have enough resources to offer a, a higher quality online education. Then uh, we, you need to, we need to have a strong curricula and a structural uh, design skills available at the university. And those are quite scarce, in, at least in Mexico. So uh, the, the, the current uh, faculty, most of the times are not prepared, we're not prepared to run uh, classes on, on lay basis. So, um, so that was a very complicated issue. Uh, in, in the case of uh, uh, basic school and, 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 and uh, other areas of the higher education, when you have unions, unions uh, of teachers uh, were opposing to go online. That created another problem in the labor sector, but that's, that was part of the high school uh, problems that they have to face. Then you need a, a very robust technological platform to handle asynchronous and synchronous operations. Of course, you need a centralized 24 hours support, technical support. Uh, most of the times uh, before the crisis, the students were just uh, working or studying uh, during working hours, uh, probably eight to eight or something like that. Now with this uh, crisis and everybody's trying to, to get an education online, uh, we found out that uh, you don't have the 24 hour support, you are in deep trouble. Technical support, you are in deep trouble. So of course we, we need a, a virtual library with enough material there. Uh, and uh, at the end, uh, we have to have uh, training programs that were not planned. So because uh, on and those problems, of course, because the, the, the lockdown had to be in online, of course, uh, again. So uh, we had, we run massive uh, training programs online for teachers that uh, were not used to teach on, on online education. So uh, at the end, we found out also that we didn't have an evaluation systems to assess the performance of the all those elements that uh, I, I, I just mentioned. So um, it has been a very complicated experience. We don't know what will happen after we open up, that we are planning to open up uh, probably in June. And uh, of course, the, the next uh, school year will start on August, September. And uh, we, are on, we don't know how much, how many of the students that today are online will rather stay online or will rather prefer to go back to the classroom activities. So that will define a, a number of uh, strategies and actions that we will take on these elements I just mentioned. So um, we look forward to a very exciting times uh, in the next three or four months. Thank you, Judy. Rodrigo, uh, thank you. And thank you for being so clear uh, about the challenges uh, in, in Mexico. Cheetah, what is happening in Manila in the Philippines? Uh, what's your perspective here? So hello from the Philippines. Let me start by telling you a story which appeared in Rappler, a Manila-based online news platform last week. A civil engineering student from one of the universities in Manila had to climb a mountain in her hometown to send online a class requirement to her professor. 
she and her brother had to walk five kilometers for at least an hour to get a stable internet connection. Just a bit of context to this story. The Philippines is a developing country with 7,641 islands and over 108 million people. It has 1,963 higher education institutions and about 3 million students. On March 8, the government declared a state of public health emergency or lockdown. On March 11, the Commission on Higher Education or CHED for short, issued a memorandum suspending all classes and activities in the country. It stipulated that in lieu of in-campus learning, institutions were allowed to utilize distance learning, e-learning, flexible learning, and other alternative modes of delivery, if they have the resources to do so. HEIs may also undertake alternative assessments and remediations. A week after the release of the CHED memo, the Student Council Alliance of the Philippines and Students' Rights and Welfare submitted a position paper stating that online classes are manifestations of the digital and social divide in the academe and in society. Only students with an internet at home can access education. Soon thereafter, Student organizations from all over the country also submitted position papers and identified the challenges brought about the by the shift to online classes, such as poor internet connections or lack of connectivity, lack of access to electronic devices, excessive academic loads, unreasonable deadlines, and exams that are neither fair nor proper. The students also claim that the demand to comply with academic requirements amidst the crisis gave them undue stress and anxiety. So there was a clarion call for the CHED to suspend online classes and assignments. In an effort to respond to the concerns of students, some universities rolled out contingency plans consisting of blended learning and the use of online materials and platforms. Colleges and universities also aired their own concerns about the need to train their faculty on the use of digital platforms and how to apply effective techniques for online learning and student assessment. Several colleges and universities moved to a pass-fail approach, eliminating grad grades for the rest of the current academic year. Last Monday, May 4, came some breaking news from CHED. So the CHED chair that only 20% of state universities and colleges nationwide are equipped to facilitate online classes. He further said that the poor internet connection, especially in the provinces, has made the conduct of online classes not viable. As an alternative to online classes, he announced that colleges and universities may apply flexible learning, a combination of online and offline learning activities with take-home work that students can do during their free time. The commission will also help state colleges and universities set up their learning management systems 
that will equip them with the tools to facilitate online teaching. I would like to end by echoing the imperative voiced by the Filipino students. As we adopt new technologies in education prompted by COVID-19 pandemic, we must ensure that the quality of learning is never sacrificed and that no student is left behind. The right of students to quality, accessible, and relevant education must always take center stage. Thank you. Sheena, thank you, and, and thank you for that heartfelt commitment, statement of commitment we all have to, to quality higher education, even in these times. Uh, Peter, turning to you. Yeah, thank you very much, Judith. And hello all from Africa, specifically from Nigeria, specifically from Lagos, where I'm locked down. Uh, the question is uh, about the key elements of successful online delivery. I, I, under, I underline the word successful. I, I will start by giving you the theoretical perspective and I will end within my four minutes to share with you a case study of what we are doing in Lagos State University. As I said, it's a case study. If may not, you can extrapolate it to the whole of Africa. In my view, the four key elements of successful online delivery are one, the human resources that are empowered, that are skilled, that have been trained in delivering online courses. Two, the infrastructure. Infrastructure in this case will include uh, the courseware, the technology, especially connectivity. The third is a combination of the first two, how the human elements implement the infrastructure. And the fourth one, which will come in the second question, is quality assurance. I know that Collins, uh, I was just reading the chat, talked about face-to-face -face being taken to be superior to online delivery. And the quality assurance component of my four key elements will come into play, and I will explicate on that uh, later. So let me go on the next three minutes to share with you how we are doing it in Lagos State University. We have, we won uh, a World Bank Center of Excellence, and uh, it's only to train graduate students. Today, we have 88 students from Nigeria, Ghana, Burundi, and Democratic Republic of Congo, and we deliver six courses uh, to them. We have a curriculum that has been approved by the regulatory agency, the National Investments Commission. And what we did was, we did a very short period of time, take on facilitators who have expertise in delivering ODL and many others who don't. And so we, subject, we, we give them some uh, possible training in ODL delivery, but they are experts in their content areas. I would do that from all over the world. Uh, indeed, uh, many of our facilitators are vice chancellors, we call them here, uh, in the U.S. as president, I mean, who are willing to be part of the enterprise so that they can also learn implementing this in their universities. Because we have a presidential order that all schools close, but all schools try to implement online learning. And we are aware that we cannot move to the ideal. It's on a spectrum or a continuum from zero to ten, for instance. So many universities, many schools are on level one of 10. The alternative is to say everybody stay at home.
for God knows for how long. The better model, we believe, is start somewhere and begin to learn as we progress. So we deliver our courses uh, in a unique mix. We have live lectures, live workshops. When I say live, it means live. The, the facilitator comes on and our students, they are scattered all over Africa, remote locations. Good internet connectivity, poor internet connectivity. So a challenge that we found about connectivity is the ability or the uh, uh, ability, yes, of the students to afford data. Because everywhere you go, likely in, uh, in Africa, maybe not everywhere you go, most places you can get connectivity on your phone, no matter how small it is. So we agreed that we're going to give our students 5,000 Naira for a month. So we'll give it them for the month of April. We've only done for one month. Now we have uh, discussion forums, quizzes, assignments, and uh, we allow them, by way of the quality assurance, to evaluate our courses that were delivered every week. And the National Investments Commission as regulatory agency is oversighting more or less the, 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 uh, the program. And then we have AAU also playing some role in. Uh, so we have ongoing ODL training for faculty and support staff. In other words, we don't want to wait till the day will dawn when everybody will have all the training. I said, no, you are level one of 10. Start. And then we keep training them. We have a training mode, a very robust training program. We keep training them. By week two, they are improved. Our facilitators and our learner support people, they are improved. By week three, they are improved. Week four, we are now in week five. As I said, we have challenge of internet access and all that. So that's what I want to take on to summarize four key elements. The first is, and it's a record, the first is the human resources to deliver online. Most of us, most of our people are level one of 10. So we're, we're you know, uh, uh, building up their capacity. The other is infrastructure. Infrastructure, connectivity, the cost materials, the, uh, the, the technology, you know, the platform, good enough. You see, we use, we use Zoom for our live lectures. But we have our other platform, our virtual learning environment. You know, which is Moodle-based, that our students everywhere they are, you know, they, they have access to this. The, 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 uh, the thought is a combination, how our facilitators will use the technology. And the last is quality assurance. Thank you very much, Judith, for giving me an opportunity to be part of this panel. Thank you, Peter. And it's, it's important for all of us to learn from the undertaking uh, on which you have have been working. Caroline, may I turn, Carolyn, may I turn to you please about what is happening in the UK and elsewhere? Thank you, Judith. I wasn't actually going to focus so much on the UK. In some ways, um, things have been a little bit easier here in terms of the extent of um, open and distance learning experience that we already have. Many institutions offer graduate programs, for example, um, uh, online. And of course, many of them participate in MOOCs. But um, what we can see is that the current crisis has catapulted many institutions in real time to deliver provision online and at a distance for the first time. And that technology is being seen as a facilitator rather than the much threatened disruptor that it was seen as in the past. I mean, two years ago, the observatory published a report 
whatever happened to the promise of online learning. And we surveyed 12 countries around the world, finding that only 15% of the market share of students were studying online. We just couldn't have predicted that in the last few months, as, as Regal and others have said, that that level has been 100%. The only access to education at all levels, although it might have been uneven, has been via technology. And everywhere, institutions are beginning to realise, they didn't already, the importance of effective leadership, the need for good communication and planning, and the value of support staff. Perhaps that's some markers for future quality assurance agencies uh, to look at in more detail. The crisis has made evident the use of online and distance learning as a contingency measure in emergency situations, not one of the three future scenarios we described in our report. But what won't be acceptable to students and possibly funders and regulators is that short-term emergency solutions implemented in crisis mode shouldn't be simply rolled forward or adopted wholesale in the next semester or academic year. I mean, as other colleagues have said, online provision can be as good quality as face-to-face -face tuition, but the student experience is different. And understanding the different issues and challenges that online students face is important in order to enable learners to take full advantage of the, the learning. And this is something that requires institutional commitment and an institutional strategy to make sure that delivery is even across the institutions. The voices of students can provide substantial insight here, and but let's not assume that traditional feedback questionnaires are what is appropriate right now. What we need to know right now from students and indeed from staff is what's worked well in the crisis, what hasn't worked and why, and what suggestions have we got for improvement and change moving on. But I mean, online education is not new. There's already a myriad of examples of successful provision about and access to a huge range of resources, which is now being supplemented by, for example, UNESCO launching the Global Education Coalition, coalition sorry, in partnership with Microsoft and others. And there are lessons to be learned from existing providers in terms of success and sustainability. Some of them have already been rehearsed here. But one of the questions that arises is, are institutions going to be in collaborative and sharing mode in the future? How, how sharing are they going to be? Or how competitive might they be in attempts to survive and what is going to be a dire economic situation in many countries um, to come? The key elements for successful online teaching and learning haven't changed um, because of the crisis. As others have said, good online provision is designed and planned. It's not cobbled together. And successful online courses require substantial investment and bespoke designed materials, as well as a focus on pedagogy. It's also important, as others have said, to invest in what has been described as wraparound support services to identify and support disadvantaged or underperforming students. Where in the near or even longer future programs are intended to combine online with face-to-face -face elements, so blended or hybrid learning, the transition between these elements needs to be smooth and carefully thought out. And in fact, this was a third scenario that was described in our report as online is not the point. This delivery mode can be a vehicle for pedagogy and shape, but it is sound purposeful pedagogy that fosters learning, not the delivery mode alone. So what are the implications of this? As it seems to be a route or perhaps a route map is a more descriptor that universities in many countries envisage in a progressive return to 
full on campus learning. Start at home online, then transition to campus when possible or desirable. An example, for example, is learning without limits at, at Hull International Business School. But these approaches have got to be predicated on a pedagogy that can be relevant both to online synchronous and in-person tuition. So indeed, it would be good to know more about what institutions are doing to support faculty in delivering learning in this mode and facing the challenges of motivating and engaging students. Now, I mean, I think there's a big, there's a big challenge ahead because at the moment, we know our students and the students know the teachers, they know the institution, but if students are coming and, and starting in September or October or November, they don't know the institution, they don't know the student, uh, sorry, the, the teachers and, and the other students. So I think that that's a, that's, a big, that's a big challenge. And again, not assuming that what has just been working at the moment is, is going to be adequate for the future. As others have mentioned, it's a mistake to assume that online education is cheap to develop and deliver. So pricing and costing, including for student services, has got to be carefully factored into the future. If students are not going to expect tuition fees to be the same as face-to-face. -face. But one of the other things that has been mentioned by all the people who have already spoken is um, how to take account of student digital poverty. I mean, it's a reality. And we already know that closures and disruption have exacerbated learning equalities through digital poverty and other things. So how do we address this in the future to make sure that we don't disadvantage already vulnerable and underrepresented students? That's all I'd like to say just now. Thanks, Judith. Thank you, Carolyn. Sorry, I was muted for a moment there. Uh, let me go right to several uh, of the comments and questions that we received. And these are, these are questions that have come up uh, a number of times. And, and please, uh, whoever on the panel would like to respond. But uh, going back uh, a bit ago to uh, earlier when Jensen and, and Rodrigo were, were talking, the issue of faculty and, and perhaps some opposition to to online efforts came up uh, could you elaborate a bit on that uh, are are you seeing very much of that and if so what form is that opposition taking yeah go ahead rodrigo please oh, okay thank you very much uh well first uh, i think uh, with a very few exception of the faculty that they were already teaching online, I would say no more than 10%. The rest of the faculty was caught by surprise about this uh, decision of the country to lock down and uh, the fact that they will have to adjust the teaching <clears throat> to the online uh, procedures. Uh, they, they were caught by surprise and they were uh, as a second reaction opposing to that. Uh, the reason was that they feel they were not prepared. They feel that they were not, uh, they, they had not equality. And in some examples, they went back to the, to the union to make the point. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, there, there was no option because uh, the lockdown that, uh, I mean, we have been now eight weeks almost eight weeks uh, lockdown. 
and uh, nobody knows how long it will be. So without any other option, the, the, the faculty had to go and make their, their best effort. At the same time, uh, universities forced them to, to go into urgent uh, emergency training program, uh, online training, training program. So uh, some reactions were, uh, okay, I will do it, but uh, you have to give me an, uh, an extra pay. Uh, sometimes they say, okay, I will do it, uh, but I don't, I, I'm not responsible for the quality of my teaching, that kind of thing. So uh, seven weeks later, which is today, I think that things are a little more smoother, but then uh, the, 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 the quality question about the teaching remains in the air. I mean, we are doing that, we are doing as, as best as we can because there is an emergency. The Once the, the crisis is gone, we'll have to go very deep, in the very deep reflection and, and to, uh, to know if this uh, faculty, who is going to be able and willing to go to this uh, online process, not because there is a crisis, but because there is the strategy of the, of the university to follow in the next months and years. So uh, we will see. Uh, they are very sensitive right now, the situations, but uh, because the crisis is still here, they are making their own best, their own, their own effort uh, as best as they can. Thank you. Thank you, Rodrigo. Uh, anyone else on the panel have a comment or observation or response to the, the question about faculty and responsiveness to online? Yes, if I may. Please, Peter. Yeah, uh, the staff, teachers in the universities in Nigeria have raised uh, a lot of issues about the uh, about not being ready to deliver online education. Uh, aside from the open and distance learning institutions, apart from the institutions that uh, run, blended, that's open and distance learning and face-to-face. -face. <laughs> so they have, they have offered, they, they have resisted. And you see, whether good or bad, there's always resistance. The uh, uh, the, the way, in my view, to rise to this, because in nature, there, there is homeostasis. Things will balance out over time, just like Rodrigo has said. So what has happened in Nigeria is that the faculty, we call them teachers here, are encouraged by the fact that we do not know when this thing will be over. So why can't we, I mean, how, which one do you want? Stay at home for X number of months that you don't know and just fold your hands and earn your salary or just start something and develop along the way. So all our universities are, are hooked on to that mode. Which mode? The mode of starting something. Let, let me tell you what, what some of them do at the very rudimentary level. They use WhatsApp to send messages. They use Skype. They use all, all manner of technologies that are students. I'm telling you, over 90% of university students in Nigeria, over 90%, use our Facebook. So they have internet access to do other things with. So the, uh, the system is leveraging on the fact that our students will have WhatsApp. They do WhatsApp. So they use that at the rudimentary level. 
The other is uh, to underline the fact that the students will have to graduate in X number of years, four years, five years, and so on. So many parents, I do not know, uh, uh, I think it's, not, it, it's con contradictory, what, uh, we're not contradictory. I mean, the resistance that they have is that parents say, okay, go, go into school. They are looking at a situation where let's get something going so that we won't have to unnecessarily ex extend the number of years that we have to spend in the university. Okay, uh, Peter, thank you. And what you just said is consistent with a point you made earlier that we're all in a formative, developing, learning mode with regard to all of this. And we can't just sit back and wait till everything's as perfect or as good as we can make it. We must respond to what is going on now and, and be learning ourselves uh, along, along the way. Uh, one other question that has come up several times in, in this segment, and then I'll turn to the quality assurance question, and, and that is, um, we, I think, can acknowledge that there is at least a perception that online learning is not the same and perhaps not as good as face-to-face uh, -face learning, the traditional college experience being on a campus. Uh, how do we build more confidence in online learning as authentic and valuable and as substantive as, as the traditional model? And again, uh, we need to do this over time, but some thoughts about that from, from the panelists? Can I jump yes. in again very briefly? Yes, and then Jensen, okay. Thank okay, you. thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to share my experience in China, as you know, from almost five months, universities didn't open, we shut down, and for the online teaching, we began in February, and at that time, everybody, most of the teachers are very worried because we're not prepared for the online teaching. But later, March, now it is May, and uh, you are surprised to see almost all the teachers, they know how to use the online teaching and the students are very active. And uh, I think at first the quality is very, not very bad, but it is not good. Not good. And people said it's useless to have the online teaching, but now, just this month, me, myself, I will give a, an online course to students and more person would like to join me because I think it is because uh, the more practice, the more experience you get. And I am sure that the online teaching, the quality of online teaching will be better and better with time, winter, and uh, with more lessons given students, participants. Uh, I, I would like to say, yes, we are not ready, but with more practice. And uh, in China now, we have at least over 10 um, uh, air classrooms or uh, 10 methodologies or, ten, you know, or WeChat, all kinds of things have come here. And uh, we would like to try and it make great experience for me. and. 
as you know very well, I have been teaching university for over 30 years, and this is the first time for me, but I am very enthusiastic, and I'm sure that the students are very, very good, very nice to, to listen to my lectures, because for the online teaching, I never talk nonsense. I just uh, talk very good methodologies, and I think that is good. More practice will make better. Thank you. Thank you, Jensen. Peter, you had a comment. Thank you very much. Yes, I do. Uh, I agree with you, Judith, about the perception out there that uh, online delivery is, uh, is of lower quality than face-to-face. -face. That's the perception out there. Until I became, well, until I was appointed the chairman of council of the largest university in Africa. That's the National Open University of Nigeria. We enrolled 525,000 students. And when I became chairman of council, I, 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 told the, I, I told the council and the vice chancellor and the said it, that look, out there in the Nigerian community, they think that our graduates are worth nothing. And we then decided to look at our delivery system. And we found that that perception is not misplaced. The perception is not misplaced because there is a gap between the face-to-face -face experience and the online experience in terms of the quality of product that comes out of it. So in my view, and that's what we are doing in National Open University of Nigeria, we're trying to close that gap between the experience, the face-to-face -face experience, and the online experience. And how have we done this in the case study which I presented? We're doing live lectures, we're doing discussion forum, we're doing quizzes, we're doing assignments. Everything that the online student, will, uh, the face-to-face -face student, we're doing other than meet physically. So for sure, the physical meeting will have its own positive effect on the quality of graduates, which we are missing out. I am not too sure that we are going to get a 100% equivalence in the two of them. But the goal is for us to strive deliberately to narrow that gap between the two experiences. Thank you so much. Uh, I now want to turn to our second question, uh, and that is the role of quality assurance bodies in, in addressing quality uh, in this environment. And uh, we're going to hear from each of the panelists. And, and panelists, uh, a couple questions have come up a, a number of times in, in this regard, if you might keep these in mind. One is, how do we address the issue of inequality? Whether it's inequality of technology, whether it's lack of resources, uh, whether we're talking about student populations that have been traditionally underserved when we're talking uh, about, uh, about quality. And then what kind of instruments or tools are out there? Can you point us to something that we might use as we're trying to address quality or their evaluation instruments or their assessment tools of which you're aware that, that you might mention that some folks might find uh, valuable to use. 
and then in general, and, and then Jensen, I'll turn to you. We had a question of, of how many people uh, on the call representing many, many countries are planning, or it looks like you're going to be fully online in the fall, that even though about all of us would like to have a, a campus experience available, we're not at all certain that's going to happen. And the most likely thing for the fall will be full online. And if you could just uh, tell us uh, about that in the, the chat room and panelists, if you could mention the expectation there, I would appreciate it. So what about quality assurance um, in the context of that evaluation tools, assessment instruments, and the inequality issue that has already been mentioned. And Jensen, with that, I'll turn to you. We need you to unmute, please. Thank you. Okay. Uh, your means are second, second question? Yes, please. Okay, okay. I'd like to see about the uh, uh, second question. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, Jadis. You, you would mean, do you mean we uh, move to a second question or just uh, elaborate the first question? Uh, the second question uh, Do you have additional thoughts or comments about the role of, uh, yes. of quality yes, assurance? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, as uh, quality uh, QAs, I think at this time, we are not very prepared. And uh, in China, I think the QAs are, uh, are not catch up with what ha really happened in universities. Uh, in, in my center, we didn't do any site review and the visits. But we just did some paperwork and uh, we trying to make some standards. So for me, I think as QAE at, at this uh, particular moment, and uh, QAE must be the promoter of the change of quality concept. In the past, we said external QA as a leading rule and internal QA as a main body over and over again. But frankly speaking, we didn't make it real happen. Today for the first time, things just come to us without expectations. So we finally realized the principle of dialectic materialism is right. The external cost is only the condition of the change while the internal cost is a key to change. So we all know that no matter how hard we try to hatch, stoves can never become chickens, but only eggs can become chickens. So external QA must promote the quality concept of internal QA is a foundation though is a long journey of seeking excellent quality. This is uh, the first rule is the promoters. And the second rule, I think a QAE must be quality standard setters. Because before coronavirus, university adopted a single method that is traditional face-to-face -face teaching 
During coronavirus, universities have to adopt online teaching, and after coronavirus, or we'd like to see at the post-crisis era, teaching model is not a single choice of online or offline teaching, but a blending teaching, including both online and face-to-face teaching. Similarly, external QA must adopt our blending evaluation model. We must reform a series of blueprints, plans, concepts, contents, methods, standards, and all of others. For example, like we, us, uh, YGC, we made six criteria uh, to evaluate online teaching. Number one, teachers course rate. Number two, students' attendance rate. Number three, teacher-students communication and interaction rate. Number four, teaching satisfaction. Number five, learning satisfaction. And six, administration effectiveness. You will find the criteria is just different with what we used before. So the, this is the second role of QA. And the third role of QA is the participants of quality management. During online teaching, teachers control of the teaching process directly through homework, daily quizzes, examinations, and other methods has been greatly reduced. Such educational and teaching management system as constraints on students' home-based learning has been immensely cut down. So face-to-face management has become back-to-back management. How to ensure teaching quality? That's worried or most of us. And the external QAs must be the participants of quality management in three major tasks. Number one, evaluate and approve standards and the technical expectations of online courses, such as discipline, academical and professional expectations. Number two, uh, student, uh, put forward the uh, stra- uh, suggestion and opinions on the construction of online teaching platforms such as internet access, interface requirements, which we never did before. And the third is organization consultants. Organize consultants and experts to conduct consulting services such as guideline of network, communication, IT teaching design, etc. And since uh, April, APQN has conducted two online services one for universities and the other for QAs in the globe. And uh, I would like please have to fear in this, help us to fear in the survey. And as president of EPQN, uh, our members are made of both external QA and the internal QA. I deeply believe that during coronavirus, external QAs need to reflect and self-examine the traditional picky, maybe bossy, and even arrogant evaluation behaviors we did in the past. QA need to deeply understand the role of quality 
promoters, quality standard setters, and participants of quality management. And QAA need more to work closely together with internal QAA at the universities in order to reform quality assurance, both internal and external, to make contribution to improving education quality and dissolving boundaries for quality ranging at this post-crisis area. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, uh, Johnson, and that's quite a challenge to us to uh, take advantage of this reform opportunity uh, that is resulting from our current situation. Rodrigo, you had a few things to say earlier uh, about quality assurance. It's very hard to totally pull apart these topics, but I, I know you're going to elaborate. And Would you uh, help us out here, please? Yeah, thank you, Judith. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I think that uh, when you want to address the uh, Q&A body regarding higher education institutions, uh, I think we have to think in two different scenarios. Uh, we, right now, during the crisis, uh, we have took a number of actions regarding the quality assurance process that were on progress. Uh, some were delayed. Some others are being run in, in, in the online. Uh, we even the, the peer the, the, the peer visits uh, have been performed online, and uh, we make uh, some adjustments and introduce criteria in the in the accreditation systems to assess uh, to evaluate the online uh, uh, performance of the of the universities. Uh, so today we are dealing with the with the crisis. And I, in order to not to stop all the, the quality processes that were already on progress when the crisis came. Now, if we, we are thinking after the crisis. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, if if in the in the second scenario is that uh, students may select between being campus or being uh, online, that will change the scenario quite a bit. So. Um, I think that uh, something that has been learned from this crisis that uh, as a quality accreditation organization, we need to be closer to the universities, uh, more than a role of advisor, tutors, or, or teaching, uh, aside from the traditional responsibilities of a quality accreditation system that uh, we perform. So. Uh, I think that we have to cross lines and we have to go much beyond, uh, especially if the university to be uh, evaluated will move mostly after the crisis into the online education in substantially more, uh, more quantities that there is today. For instance, I, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, before the crisis, only 16% of enrollment of the country uh, uh, were uh, online. If after the crisis that 16% goes to 35% or 40%, that the, the scenario within the university will change dramatically in the way they conduct, they perform, they they administrate, it, and so on and so on. So uh, I think that we the, the the role we have to play is to help universities to learn from the experience and to learn from the best practices we have in the online 
uh, evaluation. Then uh, we have to maintain the, the training programs. This uh, subject has been several times mentioned during this uh, conference. Um, as the students, as the teachers rotates, and uh, I think that we, we need to maintain a, a, a very robust uh, training programs on the online education uh, through the year. Uh, can I have the next one, Peter, please, uh, Joel? Yeah, thank you. Uh, then I think we have to review the, the efficiency of the platform we are using. Uh, I, I think that go to the issue that Julie mentioned about the equal opportunity to, to go online. Uh, again, during this crisis, we had no solution to that. It is, is, is going to be very difficult to give credits and grades to different students with different possibilities. We have examples in home households in which there are three kids making online education, even including the mother that it is a postgraduate student in postgraduate education. So the facilities at, the, at home are not enough to to in the emergency now this is during the crisis so uh, in some specific areas the grading system was changed uh, not necessarily to take in considerations uh, the, the typical tests or exams that uh, are performed so um, if we, you move to the to the second scenario in which we, we are we are going to plan for online education in, in a normal way. I think there is a number of uh, issues that, uh, or, or actions that could be taken. I think that uh, as a part of the, of the fee, uh, we are talking about private education in Mexico. Uh, I think that there should be uh, the financial uh, considerations in order for the students to have an, an, an equipment and probably as services. The university can deal with uh, technology vendors and te telecommunications vendors in order to get uh, facilities for the students at, at a better reduced price. But it is possible. It has been done in, in before. Now, I think that uh, the the, the Tochi issue is about the perception of uh, quality and sometimes uh, uh, integrity on the online education. I think the issue is a combination of perception and reality. And uh, as much as we can, we have to go and, and, and make progress on the evaluation of the Q&A on the online operations. Uh, but then you have to work in the perception. And there are some many ideas about how to go about that. For instance, uh, the, the, the quality of the, of the faculty and if you can use teachers that are well-recognized and well-prestigious well faculty, that will be, have an effect in the, in the image. And then if you, you can make a campaign regarding the alumni of the, those online education systems that are successful professionals in the professional field, that will help to to go to this perception go away about the quality of the of the programs. So um, I think what is important is the university to care about the perception of integrity and the perception of the quality. That's the first factor. You you have to care 
and then to address the issue in a number of strategies. So um, I think that uh, at the end, uh, what is important is that uh, we have to implement programs to, to, to help the students. Uh, we have very terrible examples of students during this crisis and the university sometimes didn't have any support for those students uh, during the crisis. We have a mental health uh, issues and that have to be, that issue has to be addressed for the next, uh, for the current uh, lockdown and for the next one, which I'm sure we, we will have sometimes in, sometime in the future. So um, I think that the, the most important subject of this uh, question is uh, if we as a Q&A organizations are willing and prepared to cross lines and to advise, and uh, in addition to evaluate the universities, to play a different role, at least until the university gets in their own uh, strategies to, to establish a well-structured well and well-prestige uh, uh, online programs. So um, it, there is a role. And, and again, the role might change during the crisis that we are today and in the future in which uh, probably online educations will not substitute the or activities, but the amount will increase in Mexico's case. I think we will double the number of students that we will have uh, on in the enrollment. Okay, thank you, Judith. Okay, thank you, Rodrigo, for that thoughtful analysis. Uh, Chita, what is your perspective uh, on this question of quality assurance? When I first saw the topic on the role of quality assurance bodies in addressing quality at the time of crisis, what came to my mind was the statement of Dr. Lourdes Kisumbing, who was then president of PASCO during the People Power Revolution in 1986. She said, we need stable times for accreditation to flourish. I remember writing our member institutions saying that accreditation had to take a back seat while we fought to secure our freedoms from a dictatorial regime. With the onslaught of COVID-19 and its impact on our educational system, as waves of institutions cancel in-person lectures and replace them with virtual meetings, platforms such as Google Classroom, Zoom, or Skype, the coronavirus is set to become the largest peacetime disruption to education in recent human history. In this age of great disruption, quality assurance bodies have to adapt to the changing times. It cannot be business as usual. The U.S. Department of Education has taken the lead and has come up with a document entitled Information for Accrediting Agencies Regarding Temporary Flexibilities Provided to Coronavirus Impacted Institutions or accrediting agencies. The guidance document provides both institutions and accrediting agencies with flexibility regarding accreditation visits and distance education, designed to save institutions time in seeking approvals and reducing costs. It further states that accrediting agencies can extend the accreditation of a college that is up for a renewal or facing the loss of accreditation if the accrediting agency cannot perform the site visits. 
I wish the accrediting agencies in the Philippines would study these guidelines and adopt this within their own context. So far, no guidance notes have been issued by the private non-governmental accreditation agencies. On the other hand, the National Accrediting Agency for Higher Education in Indonesia, better known as BANPT, has been proactive in meeting the, the challenges of the digital age. It announced that it is postponing site visits and is now designing a mechanism for virtual visits. The validity period of accredited institutions has also been extended for a maximum of five years. In ASEAN, the BANPT is the first to venture into online submission of the self-assessment reports of institutions. It also has a special instrument for online and distance education. Now, what was mentioned again about the instruments, now let me, another important challenge to be addressed by quality assurance agencies in our region and probably in some other regions is how to evaluate online classes that are being conducted by institutions. Our current evaluation tools do not cover the delivery of online instruction. There is also a need to align learning assessment procedures and criteria with the new online curricular and pedagogical approaches. There may be a need to formulate a new tool to address these issues. Much remains unknown at this stage in terms of the duration and scope of the crisis. The situation keeps evolving and the quality assurance agencies have to step up, learn from each other, and act quickly to support their members if it is to overcome the unprecedented and largely unknown challenges of the new normal we are now facing. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Cheetah, for that uh, careful reflection. We have a couple comments here with regard to the document from the U.S. Department of Education uh, to which you referred. Uh, you can find that on the CHIA website at chia.org, or if you have a URL that you could just type in, Cheetah, that would be that would be nice as well. But that document is available at uh, chia.org. Uh, with that, Peter, if I may turn to you, please. Thank you very much, uh, Judith. Uh, time is not on our side, so I'll be very brief. Brief to the extent that I want to underline uh, an issue, which is that uh, we must not fall into a trap of developing quality assurance mechanism that will present the online delivery as inferior. In my view, the instruments that we'll use for quality assuring open and distance learning and face-to-face -face should, as much as possible, be comparable, recognizing the difference in the delivery systems. The moment we quality assure open and distance learning in a way that will let the products be inferior, then we're self-defeating our efforts in quality assurance in higher education. Uh, at the National Investments Commission, we have an instrument for uh, quality assuring all the open and distance learning uh, programs in the Nigerian university system, which was developed consensually. We asked, uh, you know, it, it went almost all, all over the world. 
India, I can see somebody uh, uh, from the, the Indian uh, space talk, uh, here. I mean, from India, uh, Commonwealth of Learning, everywhere. So we develop an instrument that will not present open and distance learning or this online delivery as inferior. I'll be pleased to share that instrument with uh, everybody. Now, uh, I saw a question regarding the scale for finding uh, online readiness of faculty. We have a skill which we call the ODL readiness skill, open and distance learning readiness skill. Any faculty that's teachers or learner support staff that you want to engage for open and distance learning will have to assess using that skill. The reason being, we want to know where you are on that 10 point scale so that we'll know the intervention to remedy you, to move you from zero or one or two or three to 10. So I'd be willing to share that instrument. So quality assur assurance, as I close, I want to say quality assurance of online delivery should be one where we'll not give the impression at all. We'll not get people the perception that yes, there's COVID-19, yes, we delivered open and distance learning or online delivery to our students. When they graduate after COVID-19, be sure of poorer quality graduates. We don't want that to happen. So we must tighten the mechanism for quality assurance of open and distance learning. And I saw a question regarding online site visit. And I want to share how we do it in our program. We have our regulator, the National Investments Commission. We have the instrument. So from the time we started our training uh, for our doctoral students on this, on this uh, online program when COVID-19 locked us down, or uh, the National, Pool Univers National Universities Commission enrolled their staff, enrolled the staff. So the staff of National Universities Commission are part of those that were trained and monitoring uh, the courseware that we're using, our delivery system, our, pack, our lecturers, everything, everything contained that instrument. So they are part of it. It's not a question of you just jumping in at some point. So uh, it's, not, it's not now cross-sectional. It's longitudinal for the purpose of this COVID-19 thing. I'm sure that when it's all uh, gone, two months, three months, two years, we'll then develop some uh, other mechanism to do us, uh, to, uh, for site visit for online. So the whole thing is evolving. And I'm glad that uh, Judith, has come up with this uh, webinar with uh, Stamenka and the, and, and the chair group. And uh, we, we'll just keep improving. I mean, if we convene this webinar again in another three months, you are sure, Judith, that we'll be seeing a different tune in a positive direction. Thank you. Uh, interesting observation, Peter, and, and my sense is that, that you're quite right. Carolyn, uh, from your perspective, you've already mentioned several quality assurance issues. Can you expand a bit, please? Um, I hope I can. Um, I would like to just sort of endorse what Peter says about falling into a trap that, that would present online education as, as inferior you know, through quality assurance agencies. In fact, in the UK, the Open University, other distance learning and on online provision has not been treated any differently by the quality assurance agencies and institutions are expected to meet the same expectations that are set out in the um, standards and guidelines in the quality code, the UK quality code. Um, I would like to just uh, articulate a little bit about maybe some expectations that, that institutions 
um, that have to deal with multiple accreditors uh, and regulators might like, and that is that there's some kind of consistency in approach across accreditors in relation to how online provision is is accredited and reviewed. Perhaps more more collaboration because there seems to be some assumption that at the moment that yes, it's true that online students are mainly at home but often online students are very far away from the providing institution in another country. So how can uh, um, agencies work together to make sure that um, the online education the qualifications are recognized? Um, it's true that many quality assurance agencies and indeed some funders have moved to focus on outcomes as opposed to inputs in quality assurance. So. There's the use of metrics and data, for example, and student outcomes and institutional performance that are used in review and reporting activities and sometimes in funding decisions and allocations. And while it would be expected that approach won't disappear, I think it is um, a question, perhaps a worry for institutions as to how quality assurance agencies will tackle what in many cases will look like a decline in quality if it's based on those sorts of measures without some kind of contextualization. You know, why is it that perhaps uh, students are taking longer to graduate over the next couple of years? Why is it that retention might have changed? Why is it that um, employment of graduates has fallen? Why is it that salaries of graduates have, have, have fallen? These are things that um, institutions um, in many cases have no control over because of what's um, what's going to be the next crisis that comes to us, which is the economic crisis. So how, how are our agencies going to deal with, with, with metrics and, and data? So it's not to disadvantage either institutions or, or students. Um, the issue around um, inequities and how to support students from underrepresented and disadvantaged backgrounds is a really pertinent one, particularly in some developed economies. And it may be a matter of national higher education policy um, that access to success is, is improved. And it may come along with financial incentives or perhaps um, penalties. And so this is something that has got to be taken taken into account by quality assurance agencies. And also too, I mean, in many institutions have as their mission to serve underrepresented and disadvantaged uh, students. How are they going to do this? How are they doing this in, in, the, current, in, in the current crisis? I, I think that um, that's a pertinent question to be asked by quality assurance agencies. We have seen, looking around, we've seen a lot of work and some of it has been described by some of the, the, the previous panelists around um, trying to ensure that students have got access to, uh, to the internet, um, who have got broadband access. They may be in, in some cases being provided with, with laptops um, uh, low, on, on loan, these sorts of things. But I mean, this is, this is something that's not just a, a, a moment for the crisis. It's something that needs to be sustained particularly uh, as demographics are changing in, in many different countries. So yes, the issue of, of digital poverty is not, going to, is not going to go away. One other thing that hasn't really been mentioned, and it is talking about students as a sort of homogeneous group, and that in fact, the, the, there are differences perhaps between um, 
the capabilities, the interests, the expectations of undergraduate students from graduate students in respect of online education. And if we look, for example, at what's been happening in graduate education, in particularly in business schools, sometimes in um, medical and healthcare professions, we can see that there's been a great deal of, of development of online learning in institutions that are predominantly or have been predominantly face-to-face. -face. So I think there's something there for us to learn from how this has worked um, and actually to celebrate this, the success the success of students, which might give other people confidence in um, the quality of online education. Okay, Carolyn, thank you so much. Uh, let me mention uh, quickly a, a couple of uh, US things, if, if I may. Uh, Chia did a, a survey, a brief one, in April of US accrediting organizations and steps they are taking in meeting the challenge of COVID-19 and the, the flexibility and practices that they're developing, like virtual site visits, like extending the, the length uh, of an accreditation term and some other things. That's available at, uh, at chia.org. In addition, uh, we have a COVID-19 on the CHIA website uh, resource page, and you can go to that page and link to uh, US recognized accreditors. They're all independent organizations, as you know. Each is, is uh, addressing COVID-19 impact in a slightly different way, but you can link to each of the accreditors and the actions that they are taking if that is useful uh, information to, to people. Uh, Thank you, uh, thank you to, to our panelists, to, to Chita, to Rodrigo, to Carolyn, to Peter and Janzen. It's been a, a very, very rich and robust in ideas, uh, 90 minutes that, that we have had today and, and we do appreciate it. I have about uh, half a dozen uh, takeaways uh, that we're going to be dealing with online in a big way. Uh, going forward, we don't know how much, but it'll it'll likely be big. That uh, we need to be for, not only forward-looking but formative in our thinking uh, about how we're addressing quality in in a time like this. Uh, over and over again, we heard and somebody explicitly said technology in this instance right now is not an obstacle; it's a facilitator and the importance of, of embracing this. Uh, there were a number of comments about, there's additional work for quality assurance to do, that this is a reform and innovation opportunity and we in quality assurance really need to be taking advantage uh, of that. And we talked a bit about post-crisis scenario, that this is a moment of change that it's not just here right now and then it'll go away, but we're likely to be dealing with these changes and future changes over a long period of time affecting higher education and quality assurance. Lots of, lots of good ideas in all of that um, from my perspective. And again, uh, thanks to the panelists and to folks with the many comments. 
this uh, webinar has been recorded. We will be posting it on the CHIA website in the very near future for additional listing. Again, thank you everyone. Be safe, be well, and enjoy the rest of the day or evening.